Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm William Hosea. Welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show celebrating 12 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. And good evening. I'm Amrita Myers, and thanks for supporting WFHB during its fall fun drive. Likewise, your donations will support Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. But first, we are edging ever so close to the November midterm elections. This year's contest will render a decisive verdict on the tone and direction of our national politics. With this in mind, Bring It On will continue to air relevant and pertinent dialogue to keep you, the electorate, informed. To that end, we have assembled a panel of three very active young leaders representing the various major political parties on the Indiana University campus. We trust that what follows will be a spirited, informative, and engaging conversation. Joining us, we have uh, Reagan Davis, president of the College Democrats, and since 2015 has worked on eight Democratic campaigns in roles from intern to manager. We also have Tyler Combs, who is the Indiana State Chair for Young Americans for Liberty, or the Libertarian Party and Zachary Chambers, who is the internal vice president for the College Republicans. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you so much for having us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, happy to be here. Absolutely. You know, before we get started, I I have one question, and then I want to turn over to Amrita because I know she's dying to get in there. (laughs) We both are. (laughs) Zach and Tyler, what is the difference between the uh, Libertarians and, and Republicans? Yeah, I think that would be helpful for a lot of our listeners to be able to kind of succinctly, please, you know, brief them. Um, I would say the the primary difference between libertarians and republicans is that for libertarians, it is a much more expansive, full-hearted commitment to liberty. Conservatives are passionate about liberty, but in the context of kind of national tradition and also in the context of traditional morality to where they might not accept freedom in other areas, Libertarians are completely philosophically committed to liberty as a philosophy. Maximize freedom in all areas. Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't think conservatives are opposed to liberty or freedom in any areas. (laughs) Um, But it is sort of a different conception of the proper role of the state. Um, Mm -hmm. Conservatives tending more towards a a Burkean or a Lockean conception. Libertarians towards a more modernist, recent, you know, uh, philosophical movements, I guess, associated more so with with 20th century thinkers like Ayn Rand and those sorts. So how would that actually play out differentially in terms of forms of government, though? Um, in terms of form of gov- forms of government, it would libertarians, like, there's much ideological range among us, but generally we want a minimal state, and that affects the issues we care about. For example, whereas r- Republicans tend to support, or like, full economic freedom, which libertarians are in complete concordance with, but we also believe that a restrained foreign policy is an inherent part of freedom. We are very suspicious of inter- of intervention and entanglements with other countries in form of alliances or regime change. And that also includes freedom on social issues. So like pro-gay marriage, 
marriage, um, for ending the war on drugs, issues like that. I think that's that would be really helpful for our, mm-hmm. for our listeners to understand that minimal foreign intervention is something that they can understand yeah. in terms of how that would differentiate libertarians from Republicans, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah, yeah I, something concrete for them to grasp. Yeah, right. So one one way to help me understand, probably others who are listening, uh, Republicans typically advocate for less taxes from government. That's fair. And libertarians. The same, less taxes. Less taxes. Yes. Right, because okay. minimal state sort of in terms of state structures, right? Minimal state exactly. intervention, minimal state structures. Reagan. One thing that kind of helps me, I don't know about you two, I'm a very policy-oriented person. And for me, it's helpful, especially what Tyler said at the end, like where the policy differentiates. So when we have libertarians like Tyler, they believe that freedom encompasses traditionally quote-unquote liberal social values so Tyler and I really agree on things like gay marriage and things like a woman's right to choose whereas Zach and I would be in opposition on issues like that but I disagree with both of them in terms of economic issues because I'm a liberal where they both agree in terms of the economic issues like um, like for example I favor redistributive taxes and both of them would probably oppose any additional taxes. Yeah. It, it, but to see that, I'm pushing you to sort of clarify the point for our listeners to understand where you fall in line with one and mm. disagree with both. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes. And I really appreciate you doing that. I push my students in the same way. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So what you're going to see here is like, depending on what we're talking about, you're going to see me jump like me jumping onto Reagan's side, advocating for like social liberal policies. And then the very next issue, I could be jumping over to Zach's side to advocate for fiscal conservatism. Is that why you're seated in the middle? Exactly. <laughs> well, I think this, no, but I think this is really helpful because we often only hear two voices in most right. of our debates. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. often hear that third voice. Yeah. So I think it's really helpful for our listeners to have, but a very clear understanding of, again, give me an example, right? That specific mm-hmm. example. I'm a historian. I always tell my students, I need the, f- I need the evidence. I need the facts, mm-hmm. right? Because without it, it makes no sense. Yeah. Great. Now, I do want to jut in for a second and say that is traditionally, I guess, a somewhat useful metric for comparing the two or the three different parties or viewpoints mm-hmm. where we have this kind of X and Y axis, right, of economic issues on one side and social issues on another. And libertarians are in favor of, you know, freedom, whatever that amorphous concept means in, in both areas, liberals mm-hmm. on social issues, but not economic conservatives on economic issues, but not social. I don't think that's entirely true, certainly not amongst younger conservatives. Um, I know most, if not all, of my friends are probably in favor of gay marriage, drug legalization. Um, there's a fair bit of anti-interventionism amongst younger amongst young Republicans. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's. I mean, it is a big tent party. It's after 17 years of war. I think anybody would, uh, <laughs> you know, kind yeah, of oppose that, intervention. Yeah, something I'd like to mention is that there are many libertarian members of the Republican Party. You know. Um, so there's some overlap on both sides. Because uh, one of the questions that William and I had was, are there any issues where all of you could yes. actually find agreement on? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, where you could all find common ground? <laughs> so how about one issue where all three of you can agree? Reagan, yeah, yeah, I mean, Reagan mentioned voter registration. I think everybody's in favor of increasing civic that was participation. One of our yes, and I mean, you, at the end of the day, we're we're all IU students. I don't know if you guys are aware of the Big Ten Voter Challenge, but um, the political, we are. Yeah, well, I am. 
Yeah. Um, for those of you who are listening who aren't, the Political and Civic Engagement Program at IU is currently operating our branch of the Big Ten Voter Challenge, where we're competing against other Big Ten schools to see who can register the most That's voters. the PACE program, folks. Yes, PACE. Political and Civic Engagement, PACE. Uh, and I, I think that at the end of the day, that's one thing that we can all get behind is register voters and beat Purdue. <laughs> this is true. We can't all agree on beating Purdue. Well, okay. Since you brought up voter registration, um, if you agree on voter registration, uh, and I'm assuming you think that everybody should have the right to vote, then how, how do you square your beliefs with the uh, Republican Party at the national level who go out of their way to suppress votes and purge voter rolls? Well, yeah, so again, voter registration, this is this is a goal, right? And I think typically on most things, we probably agree on, on the end goal. I don't typically make a habit of questioning people's motivations and things like that. I think most people are acting in good faith in the political arena, uh, everyone from Bernie Sanders to perhaps even Donald Trump on, at times. Uh, so, you know, again, I, I would have to see the specific policies that you're referencing and and speak to those um, more so it's a matter of I mean again I have to see the specific policies I guess I can give you a couple of examples um, <clears throat> Marion County the Republican legislature uh, reducing the they, they reduce the number of polling stations to one and it's downtown Indianapolis uh, in a government building where there's pretty much no parking and so that really eliminates people's ability to go down there and vote. And if they do go down there, they see long lines. Up in uh, Lake County, Indiana, where they combine the uh, voting precincts. And so it, it really, again, impacts people's ability to vote. That is a policy of the, the state Republican Party. So my question is, if you think that everybody should have uh, – the ability to vote, access to uh, uh, polling places. Mm -hmm. How do you square your beliefs with what the uh, higher-level Republican uh, Party believes is, is doing? Yeah, so, I mean, as I said, it is a wide-tent party, and I certainly can't, you know, be expected to, 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 to defend every action of every Republican in the country okay. since the beginning of time. Um, I don't... <laughs> I don't no, know but the, when you affiliate yourself with a party, people are going to come up to you and say, why do you choose to affiliate yourself with a party mm -hmm. right. that that has a record of doing certain things that are appalling, right? Sure. Well, and you are going to have to justify your decision to out, to ally yourself with a certain so, party. So, yeah. So, I mean, we need to look at the, the reasons why these things are happening, right? If if they're happening, as I would you know assume you're implying, to, you know, to restrict minority voting or things like that, of course, that's appalling and that shouldn't be happening. And I wouldn't defend that. If they're happening because these are, you know, grossly underutilized polling places or, or something like that, then, you know, maybe we can look at the underlying reasons and, and get to that. Okay, fair enough. Any Anybody else want to comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, speaking for the Democratic Party, really very much doubt that it is because all of those other polling places in the most populous city in our state. Marion being, County, this is Indianapolis we're talking about. Yeah, I very much doubt that those polling places are being underused. I think they're being overused by Democrats. Um, and if you look not just at the changes in voting centers, um, but even, even right here on campus, 
uh, this is something actually that the college Republicans and college Democrats have worked together with the PACE program and doing is to try and return our voting center to campus. But the reason why we didn't have a voting center on campus for 10 years was because the last time we had a voting center on campus, it was 2008. Indiana went blue. Indiana voted for a black man. And then in the end, like the Republicans didn't like that. And then fast forward two years later. 2010 happens. I don't know if any of you have read the book. I don't want to say it live on the air, but it's you can ra- say it. <laughs> rat effed. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Shouldn't say that. One, then. I don't I don't want to say that. Okay, um, no, no, you can't, but you you that's the best way to say it. Okay. That's fine. Yes. But it's it is a, an amazing book about the national campaign of gerrymandering that happened mm-hmm. in 2010. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you think about why we have someone like Trey Hollingsworth representing us right now. This district would not, if it were drawn fairly, be voting for a Republican ever, especially not a Republican who rode in on the coattails of Donald Trump. But the fact that we have gerrymandered in this portion of the conservative suburbs of Indianapolis just to dilute the vote in Bloomington, I think is evidence enough that this isn't because some polling centers are being underutilized. It's because there's a systematic disenfranchisement of Democratic voters and specifically Democratic voters of color, not just in Indiana, but all over the country. Well, and, and I mean, let's so let's be fair, right? We're going to, you know, we want to make sure that <laughs> everyone gets their turn to have to, you know, think <laughs> about the fact that all, all parties have weak spots, right? Yes. I mean, this is this is a show that's you know thinking about. I mean, we, we represent the African American community, right? And I have certainly been let, uh, distressed by how the Democrats have, you know, throw been throwing their left wing under the bus lately too. Me too. So I mean, <laughs> you know, take heart, Zach. It's not just. You know, Zach and Tyler aren't the only ones that are going to have to think about this, uh, think about this tonight. Because, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is, um, you know, we'll, we'll come back to, I mean, I'm sure I'll have lots of questions for all of you. But um, I want to hear sort of all of you think about how each one of your parties is actively trying to improve your performance and your record when it comes to issues of equity and inclusion, right? Because mm-hmm. that's not just a question for one party. It's a question for all of your parties, right? And, and I'm thinking of on campus, because all of you are specifically thinking about Indiana University, but also to think more broadly in terms of the, the larger state and national pictures as well. So, right, to speak sort of specifically about how do you improve your party's performance and record when it comes to issues of equity, on and off campus. And I'm thinking in particular of the fact that in terms of the Democrats, I wasn't terribly happy about what they did to Maxine Waters <laughs> recently in terms of the national leadership, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, I'm not impressed with you. Um, but I'm also, I've also been really, really disappointed with how they responded to the actual left wing that sprung up under people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others. Um, I look at the battles that are being fought and won um, by um, men like Gillum in Florida and women like Presley. What's her first name? Why Ayanna. Ayanna Presley. Yeah. Um, and the battle that um, 
My girl Stacy is fighting in Atlanta. I mean, there are some amazing, amazing races that are being fought and have a good chance of being won in November. And yet words like insurgents are being used by other members of the Democratic Party to talk about people in their own party. So um, I would really like to really like to you know have you, Reagan, maybe think about what do you do when this is the kind of language being used within your own party? But for all of you to sort of think about how do your parties work to improve your own performance and record when it comes to reaching out to people of color and to sort of think about equity and inclusion. And notice that I'm avoiding the word diversity because I actually mm-hmm. think that equity and inclusion, th- those things mean something different. Mm-hmm. Justice, equity, inclusion, those things mean something different. So all three of you have a chance at this. But, but I've specifically kind of thrown a big grenade at Reagan, so. And it is a grenade that I will happily, hopefully catch and throw somewhere else. Um, so all of you can sort of think about that big question about how do, we, how do we do better? What are we doing better as we come into these midterm elections? Absolutely. So uh, full disclosure, when I said I worked for eight Democratic campaigns, uh, the one of the very first ones was Bernie Sanders. So that is the side of the Democratic Party that I'm coming at you from. I've gotten a couple of random community members sending me emails saying that I shouldn't be president of the College Democrats actually because I come from this left, further left side of the party. But I think the fact that is Bernie a Democrat? There's a question that a lot of people have. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And Mm -hmm. you know what? I don't 100% believe that it matters if Bernie's a Democrat because his 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 impact has improved our party. And I think that's really what matters. You know, um, I, I have this critique of liberalism that I've just thrown at Tyler over so many texting conversations. Oh, well, he's going to have to respond when you finish. Oh, no, 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 no. He agrees with me, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, that For different reasons, but yeah. <laughs> I When I look at liberal values, a lot of the time we talk about equity. We talk about inclusion. We talk about helping out people of color and women and queer people. Um, and and we, we say all of these things, but a lot of the time the policies that we're pushing don't always align with the values we're espousing. So we talk about how we want to bring equity, but we aren't addressing the underlying causes of that equity. Because, I mean, this is a criticism that a lot of Democrats will throw at the Republican Party, but I think... the causes of the inequity? The causes of the... the, We aren't addressing the causes of the inequity. Right. Um, I apologize. No, no, I got you. Um, We aren't aren't addressing them. And I think this is a... complaint that's frequently thrown disproportionately at Republicans. But I think, you know, when you mention people like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi who are using language like that, I don't think, I don't feel like they are representing the Democratic Party that I want. They, they should, we should be electing people who represent the values that we are espousing and who are willing to back that up, not just with a social policy here and there to bring more rights to you know, straight white gay people, not straight white, but upper middle class white gay people and not, you know, actually talking about structural racism, not actually talking about the fact that our economic system continues to pour money into politics and allow the same people who don't represent our party anymore to maintain their position at the top of that party. I, I think that 
your criticisms are completely valid and hopefully uh, people like the college Democrats will fix that when it's our turn to be in charge. Tyler. Well. What are you doing to reach out, Tyler? Frankly, I'm going to be completely honest here. Libertarians need to do a lot better job of reaching out. I'm like, I'm not afraid to say that it is troubling that libertarianism is a philosophy and a movement that is comprised primarily of upper middle class straight white men. And I don't think it should be that way. Um, I always think of like a bunch of white dudes carrying guns, actually, when I think of libertarians <laughs> out west on their colony on, the, on their little, mm-hmm. you know, colonies or communes ranch ranch yeah definitely not, not a commune, commune. <laughs> <laughs> not no, but like ranches and like you know out in the woods with yeah, their, like cowboys I, yes. I don't know Militias. that's not inaccurate yeah, camps. <laughs> that's not inaccurate but i think that uh, liber- libertarians need to remember that liberty is for everyone like histo- historically many of the intellectual leading lights of the liberty movement were women the, some of the foundational thinkers Many of them were African-American. Frederick Douglass is someone where, who, if you look at what his personal positions were, is very much in alignment with what we stand for. And so I think libertarians need to make a stronger case for the fact that liberty is a philosophy for everyone and sh- should work for everyone. And I think the policies, we fo- uh, oftentimes we don't focus on the right policies to get that outreach. Like, we may rally around cutting taxes, but that is a policy that primarily benefits the wealthy. And I think all Americans should benefit from our policies, but we also need to look at issues that matter to the poor, who matter that matter to people of color, who matter that matter to women in the LGBT community. Like gun control policies is in the United States, many of them owe their origin to trying to disarm African Americans after the abolition of slavery, or Reagan's bill controlling guns after the Black Panthers marched on the California State House. And so we need to really make an effort to emphasize that liberty is for everyone, should benefit everyone, and to look at how policies of liberty can benefit people of color in particular. That's interesting. Let me ask you a follow-up question But before we go mm-hmm. to uh, Zach. Mm-hmm. Rand Paul, to me, is mm-hmm. the face of the Libertarian uh, Party, e- even though he identifies as a Republican. Mm-hmm. It's, it's no secret that he, ha- he has Libertarian leanings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Truth of the matter is, I don't know what to make of this guy. I mean, he seems to be all over the map, except on issues that impact African-Americans, where he uh, uh, does not seem to advocate for anything that that would Mm -hmm. uh, uh, be in the best interest of African-Americans. So what, you know, I I also know I I don't trust the guy Mm -hmm. any farther than I can see him. He, He seems to have a racist background. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me. So is this someone that you want to be the face of your organization? It's interesting that you say that he has, um, like he doesn't seem to advance any policies that benefit the African-American community. I can't speak to his background mm-hmm. on that, but in fact, during his presidential campaign and historically through his time in the Senate, um, Rand Paul has actually been very outspoken on the issue of criminal justice reform and has been out there talking about how the way criminal justice is run in this country, mass incarceration, it is a weapon the state uses to oppress people of color. You said something Mm -hmm. very important. You said during his campaign. That's Mm -hmm. why I don't trust him, because he Mm -hmm. seemed to be more vocal about those issues 
during his campaign. He seemed to be pandering to the mm-hmm. African American community just with some of the issues that 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 he was speaking on, mm-hmm. and and that's what uh, that's why I feel like I can't trust him. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely a fair criticism. Like I do, I personally absolutely wish he was stronger and um, more outspoken on that during uh, in the Senate as well mm-hmm. as yep. on campaign. Um, but if, since the end of the campaign on in the Senate floor, he has actually worked particularly an issue that he's been historically very passionate about has been that of drug policy reform. Hmm. So throughout the United States, among all races, use of rates of drug use are about the same. Yet it is overwhelmingly people of color, particularly African-Americans, who are charged with drug crimes because of racism. And incarcerated, and yep. incarcerated, and incarcerated. Absolutely. Two-thirds higher rates. Absolutely. I can... We need to talk about that more. Absolutely. And and to be fair, you have some uh, Democrats who only speak out on those issues during campaign season. During election mm-hmm. season. Yeah. 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 So we're still on Amrita's question, but we're going to move over to Zach. Yep. Yeah. You remember what the question was? Uh, if you could give me a quick refresher, that'd be helpful. <laughs> sure. So what specific things can your party be doing to sort of not only reach out to um, minorities, but to be making your party definitely more, you know, sort Mm -hmm. of more equitable, more inclusive, more inclined towards equity, inclusion, and justice. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, thinking back to what you initially said, I like that distinction you're making between, you know, equity and inclusion and diversity. Versus diversity. Versus just diversity as its own thing. Right. Because I think when you have greater equity and inclusion, that'll bring about diversity. Um, I think they're very different things. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think, you know, I think, you know, conservatism at its heart fundamentally assumes that all people are innately the same and equal. And therefore, when given equal opportunities, we'll all rise to, you know, a similar levels within, you know, whatever differentiation that happens between people naturally. So, um, yeah. So how do you improve your party's performance and record? Yeah. So, of course, there's, you know, there's a strong meritocratic streak within the GOP and within conservatism generally that perhaps at times is used to gloss over historical inequities and things like that. Um, however, I will say, you know, looking at economic data and things like that right now, uh, minority unemployment's at the lowest it's been in a long time. Um, and that we can see, you know, rising tide to go back to the cliche, right? A rising tide does tend to lift all boats. Um, if you look at Indiana's current slate right now, it's all women for the 2018 election. Um, so I think Republicans are at least tentatively making efforts to reach out to other communities. And, you know, there's no one in America that's, that's against diversity or inclusion or equity or any of these things it's i think it's really dangerous when we start to question Not vocally no sure but i think it's i think it's dangerous when we start to question people's motivations right as much as reagan and i or tyler and i even might disagree on certain issues i think it it does lower the discourse and lead to the demonization of our opponents when we start questioning motivations instead of the solutions they're offering let, let me ask you a question no but my specific question was how do you sort of how do you attract more you know, a more mm-hmm. diverse group of people to your party sure. right now, yeah. right, on your campus. Yeah. I mean, are are African-Americans going to be attracted in large numbers to the Republican Party right now? Well, I, I can't speak for African-Americans. I don't think, I think they're all individuals. I think we need to speak on, of them as the individuals. Camp, on the IU campus, how would you draw more African-American students to the party on your on the IU campus? Right, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a matter of, of outreach. Again, and it's outreach to individuals, right? I don't think any you know, African-Americans as a block are all going to necessarily have the same 
background or experiences or, or think of things in the no, same but way. But I'm asking so. you, what would you do? I mean, you are an officer in that party on that campus. And what I'm asking you is, how do you improve your party's performance and record? What do you do to like make the party more equitable, more inclusive, sure. more attractive? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a matter of talking to people and, you know, seeing what issues are, are concerning them, right? Um, talking to going into traditionally African-American spaces, whether that be the Neil Marshall Center or anywhere like that, um, and, you know, seeing what, what issues those people have and where that meshes with the overall, you know, conservative ethos. So do, does, the, uh, does the college or public organization have an outreach program to minorities? Do, do, you, do you interact with uh, the African-American fraternities, sororities? Do you go into the Neil Marshall we don't we don't have an outreach program for any specific community where you know we're open to the public and we're always you just put it out there and take all comers mm -hmm. yeah essentially it is as i said you know it's a big tent party we hold everyone from from the most donald trumpy type conservatives to um you know the more more burkean temperament to everything in between that is uh that's interesting which leads me to my next question um when you consider the 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 state of uh, politics is, will go all the way up to the national level um and it's pretty much total chaos uh almost totally completely polarized and extremely divisive as college uh, it, it, the relationships between uh the college organizations does it reflect that national level at all <laughs> it, it, what he means is is it as polarizing and divisive at the college level as it appears to be at the national level today? that's what i mean last night i blew a tire on the freeway and tyler came to pick me up at a <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it was only a two-hour drive <laughs> yeah so i i guess i would say at, at the collegiate level, we have more in common. You know, um, Zach was mentioning earlier that a lot of young Republicans are more libertarian in their social views. Um, and and okay. that's something where we can get along. I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to be friends with someone who is like gung-ho, loves Donald Trump. The, like, I, I don't know ethically how I would square with that. But... I, I think that especially we as the leaders of political organizations on campus, because we have to interact with each other and we're all, you know, taking similar classes because we all have these shared interests. And we all also know that there is a basis on which we can have discussions. So I know for a fact that I have taken, you know, racial and ethnic politics with Bernard Fraga and the other Reagan, Reagan Kirk, was in that class with me. She's the president of the College Federation of uh, College Republicans. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, I, and so I think the fact that we are all kind of starting on a similar basis where at least we're all educated. Sometimes when I talk to like, you know, that random family member across the Thanksgiving table who doesn't really know what's going on, but knows that he just really hates Obama. Has an opinion, though. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or like Internet trolls. You know, you get people like that all the time. But I, I don't have to worry about these guys trolling me because I know that they're at, at the very least educated. And even if I disagree with them, yeah. I, I know that they're are some things that we're going to be able to agree on just because we're all knowledgeable on the subjects and we're all interested in the subjects. So you would say then that <clears throat> you, while you might disagree, it's not going to be perhaps as, okay, okay, 
not maybe as polarizing or as divisive or as vile, perhaps, yeah. as the debates <laughs> can get at the national level. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I would never... I would never say anything about these guys that our president would tweet about members of his own party. <laughs> like, you know, I, I wouldn't be over here like lying Ted and crooked Zachary. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll take that one with me. Um, you know, let, let me paint a picture here real quick. Uh, you know what you guys remind me of? You, you ever see the, the video on Facebook of the uh, young black and white kids and they're like three and four years old and they just don't know that they're completely innocent and they don't know any racism and they're just, they're just loving and hugging each other. And the three of you sitting here now, I just wonder where you're going to be 20 years from now when you're grown and dealing with some of the more... Uh, they're um, all, come on, William, they're grown. They're not five. <laughs> Stop. Okay, grown up. When I say grown, I mean in politics. Mm -hmm. In politics, because the issues will get a lot more serious that, that you deal with directly as you grow older and progress in, well, in politics. Well, let's, okay. Public so let's, office. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw one of my, my I'm going to throw another balls. grenade. <laughs> I'm throwing another grenade in. The grenade's going that way this time. Zach, I just, uh, I, I just, oh, it's radio. It's not TV. It's going towards Zachary. <laughs> Zach. So now... I I had Reagan deal with, you know, what do you do when Nancy and Chuck are throwing Alexandria and Maxine under the bus? Mm -hmm. How do you how do you deal with the fact that you have some openly Nazi fascist people who have made it past the primaries who will be running in the midterm elections? Uh, you know, folks in places like Chicago and Virginia. I mean, open like swastika, like right on. I'm a Nazi, and I made it past the primaries. Wa walking down the street, handing out flyers and talking to people on the six o'clock news. I mean, again, you know, a big tent party. Say what you will, but you still. I mean, how are you? How do you speak to the very real issue of the fact that you are attracting people like this to your party? You have, you know, you have paved, you not personally, you as an individual, but your party has paved the way for candidates like this and attracting people with such philosophies. And, and you're going to, again, right? Just like the larger Catholic church is going to have to explain the fact that they've got pedophiles all over the place, right? Uh, you are going to have to sit there and deal with the fact that people are going to come up to you and say, hey, man, what is the deal with your party that you've got open fascists and Nazis being attracted to your party, made it past the primaries, running in the election? How do you, how do you kind of like, push away that stigma right and right. say to people coming to you look we're not i'm not like that we're not like that because i had a woman um you know we had uh, the black lives matter had this huge two-day event last weekend called a seat at the table and we invited democrats and republican candidates who are running for federal state county and uh municipal seats we had them all, we gave them all open invitations to come and participate in moderated roundtable discussions. And um, one Republican candidate said, look, I, I just wanted to be judged for me. I want to be judged for me and what I stand for and who I am and not be judged for the larger party. 
And, you know, what she was kind of the pushback was you do have to kind of deal with both sides. Yes, it's true that it's fair to say, look, I want to be judged from my policies and what I believe in and what I stand for. But you also have to be ready for the question, why do you choose to run as a Republican when the Republicans have this uh, larger sort of uh, what am I what am I trying to come up with you know, this why, why do you image image issue yourself? right yeah so so how do you deal with these fascists and Nazis and this image issue yeah so I guess the first thing I would say to that is do you know what happened immediately after those two gentlemen you're talking about in Chicago and Virginia after they put the R next to their name let's explain it to our okay. listeners well, that's why I opened up sure, this little yeah. can for you so so the county party the state party and the national party if memory serves all immediately and unequivocally disowned disavowed them. them disavowed them they said these are not republicans these are not the sorts of people right we have a big tent <clears throat> but it's not that big it's not that big no um so when we have it's it's more a function of the primary system right anyone can run in these states and and attach whatever label they want to their name um, Why didn't they just run as independents, Zach? Again, they, anyone can run as any party. We have, of course, we have our own crazies within the GOP. Sure, you know, no one can deny that. Um, that's, there's no shortage of crazies on either side of the political spectrum in this country. You know, we've got plenty of people on the left shouting about, you know, Zionism being Nazism and things like that, um, all sorts of unsavory causes. So, I mean, every both parties have to reconcile with with some of the unsavory elements that try to attach themselves to the brand. Um, again, the, the Republican Party is certainly not supported, certainly not endorsed these guys. It's, as far as them making it past the primary, the only reason that happened was because these were uncontested primaries in deep, deep blue districts where there was no one else running in the primary for the seat because it was it, it's a Democrat seat. There's no chance of a Republican or any other party taking it in the first place. Tyler, you want to uh, comment on that? Um, absolutely. So Young Americans for Liberty, we're another group that calls ourselves a big tent organization, but again, the tent is not that big. Um, just several days ago, me and my immediate superior, our regional director, kicked eight people out of Yale and literally shut down a whole chapter at a campus because they were hosting a, a speaker who was openly white nationalist. And we immediately disavowed these people, kicked them out of the organization as soon as we found out. And so I think that's really? what, yes, and I think that's what has to be done. And yeah, we like to call it, we always say principles over party. And I think that extends principles over organization. You find what you believe and you stick to what you believe. And there comes a point when if people are questioning those beliefs or if they're questioning basic human decency, you have to make, you don't accommodate them. You take an immediate sharp stand and say, there is nothing here that we, we will not tolerate this. And that you have to be unequivocal in that no waffling, no backing down, and say, we will not tolerate this sort of behavior. Okay, so for um, Tyler and Zach. That's a stronger line than the Republicans have taken on racism, (laughs) though, in the past. Yeah. I will say. In what way? I've never heard of the Republicans shutting down chapters because of racism. (laughs) Well, I could send you plenty of examples of that. (laughs) I'd love to see that, Zach. (laughs) All right. Well, let let me throw out another question. If you have these extremists who who feel like they they have a home uh, in your party, uh, in your party, do you have to question uh, your message or the people who are out there representing you or your policies? Uh, question it to the point where 
there has to be some reason that these people feel that they can identify with with your organizations. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely agree. Like personally, I feel like those people. Actually, I I saw their messages. I saw why they were t- doing this. They cl- they were trying to cl- get in free speech. Yao's an organization is unequivocally committed to free speech, and we believe that free speech does include hate speech. However, at the same time, we do not endorse hate speech, and these people are trying to blur the line, and we we're like, no, just because you may have the right to say that out um, because of the Constitution does not mean we're going to support it, and that's where the line has to be drawn, that we may believe in certain principles, but it, we also have a sense of ethics, a certain sense of decency, and we're not going to advocate allow this and that you have to do soul searching and say what are you able to morally tolerate so you think they want to twist and abuse your message yes Zach. yeah no i would certainly agree with that and i would say you know even even the most majestic ship in the ocean is going to accumulate barnacles on the bottom of it right <laughs> that's um, a good metaphor i like that really really <laughs> i like that, that. Yeah. i like yeah. that i like that image that's what um, i have barnacles you know? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so well, oh sorry go yeah ahead. no so i was just going to say you know um it, this is a phenomenon all across America, really, right? It's, you know, we can certainly ask the question and play with the idea of why do the David Dukes associate with the Republican Party and the Linda Sarsour's ah, associate David. with the Demi- Democratic Party. And they still do. And they, and still, they still do, do. yeah, on both sides. And it's so it is a question that I think both parties need to, to reconcile with, and there's certainly pushback on both sides when that happens. So here's a question for all three of you that actually kind of is, I'm going off on something that um, that Tyler just said. Um, did I just get your name wrong? Is it no, Tyler? It is Tyler, yeah. right? I didn't just like. Don't worry. That <laughs> happens to me a lot. It's I'm gonna just call it age. <laughs> you were talking about hate speech. Mm-hmm. You know that Indiana is one of only six states in the country that actually does not have hate crime legislation. Mm-hmm. One of six out of fifty. Five? Oh, one of five. <laughs> I thought it was one of six. It's a one of five. It's even worse. (laughs) Thank you. One of five. So I would actually love to hear from you, your thoughts representing, right, your organizations on campus, um, what your thoughts are on the fact that we are pushing very hard for the state of Indiana to move towards getting hate crime legislation, statewide hate crime legislation. Whichever one of you wants to go first, please feel free to have at it. I would love to hear your thoughts. I'll go first. So first of all, I think that this is something that is absolutely 100% necessary. And I think that, sorry to go back to gerrymandering, but if we didn't have a Republican supermajority for so long, we would probably already have it because it's such a common sense piece of legislation. You know, when when you're committing a hate crime, it's not just like the same as, you know, burning down a house because someone is outspoken for black liberation is different than burning down a house because you felt like it. It's not just an act of violence. There's an act of ontological violence on top of that that makes it even worse. It's it's something that adds to the violence of the crime by reinforcing structural violence, whether it's against people of color, whether it's against religious minorities, whether it's against women. Over the summer, a synagogue was defaced in a northern Indiana county 
It was, yeah, I mean, it, it happened in shortly after I moved back home. I was living in Atlanta, and I came back in July. And in uh, late July, early August, um, in northern Indiana, a uh, synagogue was uh, defaced by with spray paint. We, I, we can't keep telling people that this is acceptable. We can't keep allowing people who would do things like that to feel comfortable. You know, within our parties or within our social groups, I, I really think that this is not just a necessary piece of legislation for the the act of putting in this legislation to protect against things like the synagogue. Because I saw I saw pictures of that too, and it was horrible. But also for the symbol of it, to tell people that. If you're the kind of person who paints swastikas on a synagogue, we don't want you here. We don't want you saying, spewing this kind of venom out to the world. We don't accept that. That's not something that we as a society endorse. And and whether that's by refusing to vote for people, refusing to, uh, you know, by by having protests outside of outside of speeches that particularly hateful people give, it's it's a civic duty for us to be constantly making fashion what hate crime legislation would do is it adds a rider right like if you're if you're being charged with a crime adding hate crime on top of it would add years would add special fines or penalties in addition to whatever the regular penalty would be for those of our listeners who aren't aware of what an additional hate crime you know penalty would be on top of a regular um, you know, whatever the regular penalty would be for uh, of a crime of arson or or vandalism or defacement or or murder, right? Exactly. You know, things of that nature. Tyler. Um, so this is one that I've had to think about a lot because for the libertarian, it comes down to a balance of what it, like what is necessary action to keep a peaceful society, and also what is necessary action to preserve freedom of thought. Right. Because because racism is horrific it is awful it should be condemned every opportunity but at the same time inherent in freedom is the freedom to be racist not the freedom to act on that racism but the freedom to be racist and the problem mm-hmm. like the question with hate crimes is are we penalizing thought or penalizing action with the hate crime legislation Correct. and so like from for the the hardline absolute philosophical position which is never going to be rise and might not necessarily be desirable would be like opposition to hate crime legislation because it is based on the penalization of a thought behind the action but in the pragmatic reality my policy is not my specific area of expertise so i would personally want to see the like how the legislation works and if we have a demonstrable evidence of hate crime legislation actually reducing the frequency of what can be considered hate crimes and i I can't speak for the party or my organization but speak as an individual, I would support that legislation if it had a demonstrable effect on reducing those crimes. Right. You can't control a person's thought, exactly. but it's, it's about reducing the actual exactly. behavior or the action, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so it's striking that balance is the core of the issue okay. for me. Uh, yeah, I, I think Tyler's right on the money here. Um, you know, traditional criminal law has two elements to a crime, right? It's the actus rea, which is the actual evil act, and Correct. The, the mens rea, which is the evil mind the Correct. behind that. I think conservatives traditionally have been somewhat skeptical of hate crime laws because it, there's at least the feeling that it's adding sort of a, an extra plank to that of, of the motivation behind it, trying to kind of read the tea leaves and see what the person was thinking, because very rarely are they going to, to come out and explicitly say something like that. Um, 
But I think it's also important to remember, and Reagan sort of tacitly touched on this without saying it so much, but it's to remember that the solution is not always, you know, going to be a state solution. Uh, we can talk about the merits of, of hate crime laws, and I'm not entirely opposed to them. But I think it's important to remember also that the solution to racism is going to come from the ground up. You know, um, you mentioned the, the synagogue in Carmel. That's actually less than 10 miles from my home. Um, and the, the reaction to to that graffiti was so inspiring, right? Because we had everyone from the vice president to the governor to community leaders, you know, Mayor Ballard, all of them condemning this. We had rallies in support of it from from the Muslim community, from all the Christian churches, from from the business community, really everywhere, you know, everyone came out against this. And I think those sorts of displays where, you know, you have one racist act and then a million anti-racist acts, I think that that really helps as well. I completely agree with Zach there. Racism is a social problem and needs to be solved through society coming together to condemn it. And oftentimes state solutions won't accelerate that. And honestly, if anything, I per would personally believe that state solutions often make it worse because of because when racism is dominate, dominates a society, racism will dominate that government. And thus is the duty of individuals to come together and fight that those ideas in the social arena, in the public sphere, and not just in the government arena. You know, Tyler, I, I um, <clears throat> would take that a step further. I think it's more than social. I think mm -hmm. it's institutional. It's embedded I completely in government. Agree. Structural. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah, systemic. And, and laws can help to change mm -hmm. generationally people's minds. Yeah, Civil Rights right? Act. That's why mm -hmm. we, I was going to say yeah. one of the things that the Civil Rights Acts and the Voting Rights Acts did is it began to change generationally people's mm -hmm. minds so that today we have had generations of people who have grown up with different understandings of mm -hmm. these ideas so that we can have pe thousands of acts of kindness where people came together mm -hmm. and did, the, you know, said the Muslims came, the Christians and others came together and said, this is horrible. We can't allow these sorts of things to happen when the synagogue was defaced, mm -hmm. right? And that, that legal changes can lead yeah. to social generational mm -hmm. changes. Yeah, right? absolutely. That these things can work in hand in hand, that immediately overnight, a legal change isn't going to change yeah. anyone's mm -hmm. mind. Absolutely not. But over time, it certainly can add to it and help aid it. Yeah. Zach, I, I, I want to go back to something yeah. that mm -hmm. you said. Um, you said that after the after the neo-Nazi white supremacists won the primaries in Virginia and uh, Illinois, that the in party Chicago, leaders yeah. the party leaders immediately denounced them. Mm -hmm. Do you think they should have? Uh, do you think that was enough? Should they have done more to not only denounce them but um, to uh, maybe try and weed out that kind of uh, mm -hmm. ideology within the party? Yeah. So I would say yes. And what What and do you think they right? They could yeah. Do should do. So, I mean, we've actually seen some pushback from, you know, from the um, National uh, Republican House Committee and the NRSC um, against these candidates, even though they have no chance of winning to begin with. Um, but, you know, I'll go back to what I said before, where it's it's more a nature of the primary system and how it's set up in this country. The state party itself can't kick a candidate out. They can't tell them you can't use our name. That's just not how it works. Um, so, I mean, you know, yes, of course, they should push back against these people as much as they can. And I think in most instances they have. Just out of personal curiosity, is there any sort of a movement anywhere within the Republican Party to change that so that you could tell someone not to use your name? Well, that's an interesting question. That is, yeah, that's a, a specific legal question. I don't know the answer I, to I it. was it's, just curious if you were, if there was. Yeah, well, it's it's not a Republican thing, right? It's like the states write their own primary laws. So in Illinois, uh, someone could use the Democrat name as well. Um, and I'm sure we could, you know, dredge through the records okay. and find someone I understand now. undesirable who's done I, that I as well. I appreciate the clarification. 
So perhaps we can, another question or another topic that all of you can get involved in, in talking about. Before the show started, I was, you know, actually talking about an event that we're going to be mm -hmm. you know, working on later this year. Major national issue, something that, right, has really been rocking the, the national debate and discussion for quite a while now, and I'm sure something that all of you have been talking about um, at the campus level as well, and it does affect many of our students, it affects the state, um, is, right, the issue of immigration. Um, and I was wondering if maybe we could take um, the last few minutes that we have, um, we've got about, you know, four, about four or five minutes left before we have to wrap up, um, and maybe we could, you could all take um, a little bit of time and, you know, we, we always, we'll start at, with Zach because we don't want him mm -hmm. to always feel like he's left <laughs> to the end. Yeah. So we'll start at that end and um, maybe we can talk a little bit about immigration, right, the issue of the border wall and separating families in particular because that's been a huge topic, um, separating families and children ending up in these detention centers. Um, we have, right, undocumented people in Indiana. We have undocumented students. Um, this is definitely an issue on our campus, an issue that I'm sure all of you are going to be, if you've not already dealt with it, are going to be dealing with as we come closer to the midterm elections. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you've already been dealing with it, how you plan to deal with it, mm -hmm. um, and, and just kind of take a few minutes to talk about the, right, your your, politi your party's politics about it, how, you know, whatever mm -hmm. you want to say about it. Yeah, that's a lot to crunch in one, one minute, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Each but one is, of you. Yeah. To but give it a shot. Of, yeah, to just take, I just want to give you a little bit of time at the mic, okay. basically, yeah. about the issue. So, I mean, I guess the thing I would say is the Republican Party is, you know, totally in favor of immigration. Um, I don't think it's, you know, I think we need to have a controlled immigration and, and make sure certainly that the people coming into the country are, are going to contribute to the country and, and continue to keep us safe. Um, so, you know, we get we can talk the specific specifics about you know a border wall or about immigration quotas or well, anything. Let's talk like about this, undocumented students on IU's campus. Let's make it about the campus. Okay, so what specifically? So, what do you think that the university should do when it comes to undocumented students on IU's campus? How do we deal with that particular issue? As it, you know. Um, Zach or <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm not really sure what the question is. Um, I mean, they're you know they they're certainly human, and we should certainly treat them with dignity and respect. Um, as far as they're enrolled in the in the college, we should treat them as as other college students. Um, I mean, I, I guess I don't really understand what you're asking. Let's let Tyler give a, uh, um, have a crack at it. So I can't speak to y'all's position on immigration mainly because it's an issue that our organization is not weighed Did into. Did you say y'all's position? Are you sure you're yeah. li libertarians? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Young Americans for Liberty, our abbreviation is YAL. So I can't oh, speak. Okay. We don't have an official stance as an organization on immigration. So I can't speak to that. This is purely my personal opinion. want to make absolutely certain that's clear. I think that borders are the ultimate source of political oppression and that any sort of that when you restrict borders, when you restrict free movement of people, you are giving the state this power. Any state that can control who gets in can also control who gets out and controls the flow of liberty. And so personally, I my pure personal opinion is that I am for open borders. Give us your tired, weeping, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. That's interesting. Reagan, do you got the last Do we protect the undocumented students on our campus? Do we let ICE come in and grab them? Uh, first things first, we abolish ICE. Uh, <laughs> Tyler, Tyler and I agree on that. We also agree on the subject of open borders. 
you know, the the border wall is not going to do anything. We all know that. It's a stupid, racist political move. You know, and and we we know statistically that sanctuary cities are safer. So anybody who's telling you that you're going to be less safe because of immigration is just drawing off of false facts and racism. What we need to be doing, and specifically what we need to be doing on campus, is treating our undocumented students with dignity and as though they are people of value and worth. We need to be giving them in-state tuition just like everybody else. We need to be giving them the amount of tuition assistance that they need just like everyone else and eventually hopefully we will be giving them four-year public tuition just like okay. everyone else and uh we have just about run out of time and i gotta tell you we didn't even scratch the surface for the questions <laughs> oh that, i knew that, we wouldn't that, that we've we got three amazing uh you know active intelligent yeah. young people on the show and we only had 55 minutes yeah so can we uh can we get everybody to agree to come back on at some point Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, this is fun. Oh, yeah, we'd, yeah. Love to have you, we'd love to have you back. Okay, on that note, we want to thank Reagan Davis, President of the College Democrats, Tyler Combs, Indiana State Chair for Young Americans for Liberty, y'all, <laughs> or the Libertarian Party, and Zachary Chambers, the Internal Vice Chairman for the College Republicans, for joining us for a spirited, informative, and engaging conversation on the ever-changing dynamics of our political landscape. And for our listening audience, if you remember anything from this conversation even the most majestic ship has barnacles <laughs> <laughs> bring it on has an open submission policy so if you have an idea for this program let's hear it send an email to our volunteer staff the address is bring it on at wfhb.org we want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the african-american community with our listening audience in bloomington and beyond the email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Also, if you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send that info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item, you can contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone. With help from the WFHB News Department's director, Wes Martin. Our board engineer tonight was Wes Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effium, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Amrita Myers. I'm William Hosea. Thank you for supporting WFHB during our fall fund drive. Likewise, your donations will support Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Please tune in next Monday, September 24th at 6 p.m. to Bring It On for another exciting show right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.